a hot topic that like literally their marketing design was okay. Uh, Tim Burton plus. Right. Tim Burton core. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, a movie review podcast that dreams are made of. With me again is Keith Foster from San Diego, California. And you are Cassidy Robinson, recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. And today we'll be reviewing Paw Patrol, the mighty movie. And (laughs) And, and Saw X. We're doing Saw Patrol. Saw Patrol. (laughs) <laughs> how did the how did that not catch on? Oh, did you not hear about that one? Uh, I that guess was like, not. That was like one of the ones that came after Barbenheimer. That right, or shouldn't yeah. happen at the very least. No, no, Saw Patrol should not be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, what we'll really be recording is an episode on "No One Will Save You," the new film that's on Hulu, a Hulu original. And for the streaming homework, we'll do your assignment, which is uh, Layer of the White Worm, 1988, which is now streaming on Tubi. Yeah, I watched it on a new streaming platform called Plex. Have you heard of Plex? No, there's a new it's, one every day. It's basically the same as Tubi. Like, I thought I would be able to get away without watching the ads, but no, it was... They're all the it's same. basically the same, but somehow you can also like live stream TV. So I, I I'm gonna keep trying it if stuff pops up, but mm-hmm. um, uh, I generally prefer my Tubi experience more. Tubi's a little more well established, I feel. Yeah, and at this point, yeah. I mean, they even have some original programming. I don't know if it's any good, but they oh, have I a a couple originals now. I'm pretty sure. Every major streaming platform now has some level of paying for the ads. Um, yeah. Right? Like Netflix, Hulu, they all have some kind of added version. Just Tubi is free. So if I'm if I'm going to watch a movie with ads, why would I pay Hulu $8 a month for less of a catalog than Tubi has, mm. and I still have to watch ads. If I have to watch ads, I am not paying for it. Sorry. L- Luckily for me, as a I don't get paid to sponsor for them, so I'm not going to say subscriber for my mm. phone service. I get uh, Disney Plus and Hulu subscription with my phone service. How do you use my account? I was for a while, and then I I don't anymore. Well, that's good, because apparently uh, Hulu and Disney Plus are cracking down on password sharing, so... I've seen that. I've heard tell. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of the streamers are. And uh, here is a big 21 fuck you salute to every streamer that is cracking down on password sharing and adding... Add level tiers to your programming. Fuck you. Uh, Netflix is talking about upcharging more. Yep, yep. Uh, which this might be the this might be my last dance for Netflix. I'm giving them till the end of the year, and then I'm I think I'm going to cancel. We'll see how much 
they raise it and if they even go through with it, because I think there might be a bit of an outrage. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, if they do, yeah, I think there's a couple shows I want to finish up. But um, uh, Netflix is the one I watch the least, so it'll be the easiest to cancel. It's the one I watch the least, but I I can't cancel it. They have too many original movies that are that I have to watch that I want to watch, and there's a couple of. I mean, I'm still looking forward to season two of Sandman when that comes out. Sure, so. but I mean, you know, I I also. I love The Witcher. There's, uh, I want to see how Stranger Things finally ends, even though it's not what it used to be. Uh, like, there's plenty of stuff, but I'm after, like I said, I'm giving them till the end of the year, and then I think I'm going to go the cancel and then only subscribe when there's a show I want to watch and then cancel immediately after. You'll be one of those guys. Yeah, fuck them. Like, that's what they're... I am perfectly content to pay my $16 a month to not watch shit. Uh, but if they're going to keep being assholes about it, then yeah, they'll, you know, they'll get my money for June and then fuck them for the rest of the year. When are they going to have their ad campaign, the like anti-piracy ad campaign, like DVDs used to have with like the scary music and then you wouldn't steal a yeah. car, would you? <laughs> I don't think they're there yet. But. They're equivalent of you wouldn't borrow your friend's car and then use all the gas and not fill it up and then give it <laughs> back, would you? I think the problem is that like Pirate Bay is not as big as it used to be. And, and right. stuff like that was all built on kind of community shared file sharing. But I, I think the way streamers are going those maybe not those pirate based specifically but um i think you know pirating websites are going to have a uh, maybe a, a little resurgence. bit of a renaissance here yeah we'll we'll be back in like 2008 level internet all right uh let's go ahead and start talking about no one will save you the new uh hulu original sci-fi horror film and uh, you can go ahead and set that up if you like. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, no one will save you is about this woman played by Caitlin Deaver, uh, Bryn. She's living alone by herself, and we have learned that she does not have a lot of social interaction to the point where she has great anxiety, just like even talking to the mailman. A bit of a shut-in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a a shut-in, and then aliens attack. Uh, gray aliens invade. And, you know, it's sort of a, a home invasion movie, but with these high sci-fi concepts. And I, I don't know what to say much more than that. It is. It's a home invasion movie. I mean, that, you know... You swap out the danger aspect of it. It's not serial killers, but it's all based on set pieces of hiding and setting yeah. up traps. Well, and, and, and the, the idea is, is this woman living in isolation who is so anxiety ridden that, you know, even if she had help, could she ask for it? Right. Yeah. Which apparently doesn't matter because no one will save you. The, yeah, 
Uh, also, there's very little dialogue in this movie. Virtually none. Yeah. Which reminded me of another movie that's a great deal like this movie that came out a few years ago called A Quiet Place. The the um, John Krasinski joint? Yeah. Okay. With yeah. his family? Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like this movie was very much riding that wave and taking inspiration from the no dialogue aspect. Of course, that movie has sort of a narrative reason for why nobody speaks because the aliens have supersonic hearing and they can. Well, like, I mean, this, this one kind of does too. You know, the, it, it's a woman who's in isolation. She doesn't have anybody to talk to. So it makes sense to me that she wouldn't talk. Like, I, you know, when I am home by myself, I know some people do talk to themselves. I do not. Uh, I have, I have full a, on conversations. I hold court with myself and my cat and really yeah especially if i'm in the car especially uh when i get out of a movie or when i've just seen a movie i already kind of but but do you vocalize the whole it thing. out loud oh yeah sometimes oh, i i commit to memory better what i plan to say what you know in any given circumstance if i Speak out loud. Of course, then there's also like road rage or things like that. You know, yeah. Interesting. Uh, if you stub your toe, you know. Or... See, I am. I am the exact opposite. I, I, I am. I am like the the protagonist of this movie. Like, if I'm by myself, I do not talk. It's all internal. It's all like I think to myself. I do have conversations with myself, but I never vocalize them. I'll talk to my cats. I'll talk to my wife. But if I am home alone, I do not talk to myself like at all. I feel ridiculous. If I say something out loud, I'm like, well, that's insane. So let's say you're home alone and you're mm -hmm. trying to sleep and then yeah. you are alien invaded and yeah. you start to hear noises and you start to see weird creatures and whatever, you wouldn't mm -hmm. say, like, at least an oh, fuck wouldn't come out at some point? No, or, absolutely not. I am I, – I may be related to the main character too much because I I was like, no, I wouldn't say shit. I would – I would become way more silent. I would just become this tight little bundle of nerves and absolutely. I wouldn't scream. I wouldn't. No, okay. absolutely not. I would just, you wouldn't get anything out of me. Well, that's interesting because I felt like the, the purpose of having no dialogue in this film, in this film was a bit of a gimmick and it drew attention oh, to itself a lot. And, uh, I mean, I didn't think that the movie suffered for it or not. Whether she could have been more, maybe just a tad more vocal in certain situations, just um, to the point where, huh. you know, because there are certain situations where she is one on one with certain people. There, there was only one instance in this whole movie. It's like a thirty-second segment where she does encounter some other humans. Yeah. And it wasn't that she didn't talk. It was that the other humans didn't talk. Right. That felt unnatural to me. There's one small moment 
Uh, other than that, I would have been exactly the same as her. I wouldn't have said shit. All right. Well, I mean, I always commend when a movie doesn't need to push narrative with dialogue if they can do as much visually possible. Uh, yeah. I, I, I would say this movie is a lot of show without with literally like almost no tell. Yeah. And, you know, for a lot of the high suspense scenes and the the attack scenes, that pays off. Mm -hmm. But there are other moments where I feel like, okay, you're, you know, good for Caitlin Deaver that she didn't have to, like, memorize pages of dialogue at any point. But, and she gives a good, like, interior physical Oh, I think performance. she's great. Yeah. But, uh, and I, I really like that actress a lot. Uh, she was in Booksmart. Um, mm -hmm. and she uh, was in a TV show Justified before that, and she was great in that. So, mm -hmm. uh, she was in like one season, and she, like, you could absolutely tell she's going to be. She had the stuff. Yeah. 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 She's going to be around. Yeah, for sure. And I noticed, um, uh, especially she was she was in the Hulu original TV series or a mini series called Dope Sick. Um, oh, okay, and she was especially good in that. I felt like she, her story. There's like multiple characters, multiple mm. stories, multiple timelines, but hers was one of the more compelling ones. Um, okay, uh, playing like a miner with an injury who gets. Uh, caught up in oxycontin uh, addiction. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she's great, and she's great in the movie. I, I this movie didn't do much for me. If if you haven't caught that drift yet, I, I felt like a lot of what drives it isn't. It's not terrible. I'm not gonna like say that this movie's like a total waste of time. Like it's okay. But I felt like it is incredibly ordinary and average. And it's not particularly original with many of its concepts. You know, I talked about the influence of A Quiet Place, which I think is definitely there. I feel like there's a lot of signs in this movie, mm -hmm. um, especially in the, the more uh, uh, thriller set piece parts. Uh, yeah. And I, then... I the whole movie really kind of rests on because they make the decision really early on. This is not a spoiler to show the creature. And yes. as far as alien design goes, it's pretty underwhelming. Like I get that they want to go for something sort of like traditional area 51, you know, sort of what we expect. And then they have like variations on that. And some of those variations are kind of cool. Like I, I, there's there's some that are bigger. There's some that are smaller. They have really spindly limbs that can do all sorts of things. Although at some some points it looks like the aliens are doing like ballet. Like it's like Sia from the Chandelier video, but as a weird naked creature. And the CGI is kind of tv movie level it's it gets by but barely the set pieces start to get repetitive like they can only do so much in this house and the director doesn't really come up with an interesting way to 
utilize the space in a way we haven't already seen in a scene prior. So it kind of feels like a short film that got stretched out to an hour and a half. The ending has some interesting ideas, but I'm not even sure they land. I think I completely disagree with you. Like, I kind of loved this. Um, I think, yeah, I thought it was, uh, I, I... I really liked the lack of dialogue, the lack of exposition. I thought Mm -hmm. to me, it set up a situation that was just naturally inherent with tension. I loved that the creature design was classic. I, I feel like there has been kind of a lot of that lately. You know, this idea of let's take the idea of what's scary about a gray alien and let's Let's fucking really invest in that and make it as scary as we can. And I feel like, you know, we kind of got something similar with that with Dracula in The Last Voyage of the Demeter and stripped down back to basics. What is the thing that drives the fear of this? And let's see if we can take these these classic ideas of scary and, you know, um, reinvigorate them yeah inject them with new life like can they be scary outside of an x-files episode that's you know 25 years old at this point right because Um, at this point you go to the county fair you can win one of these if you get the darts just right i but i kind of liked that about this it was like we're not we're not trying to reinvent the wheel let's let's really lean into that and I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of creature design over designs uh, in today. And there's a balancing act there. Yeah. Well, especially you bring up like last, uh, not Last of Us. That is the HBO show with the fungus zombies. Uh, um, <laughs> a Quiet Place. You bring up a Quiet Place, and to me, those creatures were. Like, other than their weird heads when they were, like, listening to sounds and, like, the weird, like, sonic plates of their skull or whatever, the rest of the creature design was so generic to me uh, that this was, oh, okay, what if it's a gray alien, but what if there's, like, a hundred different versions of that and each one is scarier than the last? You know, we've we have the normal one mm-hmm. and then we have this short tiny little wolverine fucker (laughs) and then we have this like giant jack skellington scary fucker like i i actually loved that they were like we're gonna take the basic idea and design every version around that i thought was super cool yeah they you kind of get the idea that they're maybe of different ages or different, yeah, or, or different uh, races or genders or something like there. Right. There is some reason that that one of them is a short little fucker with claws, and that one of them is a giant daddy long leg. Yeah, yeah. I was also a little confused as to their motives, um, especially yeah. by the end of the movie, because yes. When, during the attack scenes, they just seemed aggressive for whatever yeah. reason. You know, the, they sometimes they seemed like they were trying to be more sleuthy. Other times, they were outwardly attacking and 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 uh, uh, pouncing. And then 
when we start to see their technology mm -hmm. and in their a telekinesis and stuff like that, the, these uh, other otherworldly aspects of them. Then I felt like, well, why were they behaving this way at that time and not at this time? Like, what ultimately, what were they trying to do here? I feel that a little bit. I, I and and I do. I I can absolutely see how you were feeling that way. And after the sort of second one, right? Who, who behaves in a very different manner than the first one, um, which there, you know, I don't think the spoilers to say there are multiple aliens in this movie. I, it seems to me that they're, they were written as different characters and I, I do kind of appreciate that, but I do wish there was a little more clarity in, in involved as to why X alien, acted a certain way and and z alien acted a certain way but i also kind of like that because if you think about humans as a species right we all basically look the same if we invaded another planet there might be some that are more reasonable and more um and more curious and there were, might be some that are more aggressive and there might be some that are just like i have a fucking job to do so let's Let's get this done. And after they showed the third alien, I was like, oh, that's like they have these individualistic characteristics. And, and that was another thing that I actually liked about it. Were you ever that scared, though, like during the actual no. set pieces? No, that is that is the one thing I will say about this movie. I I really enjoyed it. I thought from a character perspective, it worked. I thought. Uh, I really actually liked their take on the aliens and the greys and all of the stuff that was happening, but I was never really scared. Uh, I, I wish this movie was like a little scarier and I don't know how it could have been more. I mean, I, I, I just don't think the set pieces are designed that well because it's all supposed to be mm. there. That's supposed to sell the whole thing is the, the way that they, you know, hide and the way that they can, you know, she's sort of discovering their abilities as she goes and she's sort of internally planning what she can do in advance of them yeah, finding yeah, yeah. her. And then, of course, then they reveal something else about themselves, uh, which that aspect is kind of cool. But I felt like a lot of the cat and mouse stuff that's when it starts to feel repetitive. It's like after the first half mm -hmm. hour or so, it's just, okay, we kind of just saw a scene just like this, and it played out pretty much the same way. And I mean, I, I feel like they, they, they lean on sound design and loud sting music pulses to create jump scares where they wouldn't exist otherwise. I can kind of see that. I, there is definitely a lot of sound design. I... I don't know. I didn't feel the necessity for jump scares, but I I do agree with you. There is something about this movie that I – and maybe it's just because I didn't – I don't find Greys as scary as other things. It's it, it, it's a similar problem I had uh, – we, we have not talked about this on the podcast, but it's a similar problem I had with The Last Voyage of the Demeter, right? Like I'm so familiar – with vampire lore i'm so familiar with 
alien lore that I didn't feel like there were a lot of surprises. There wasn't a lot of, there, there were a couple of moments where I was like, Oh, okay. All right. There's something new here. But for the most part, it's very hard to reinvent the wheel while also trying to be true to what the wheel is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely coming at it from a traditional what's what's been established in these type of movies, you know. And I, yeah. I feel like it does that without really doing much else is the problem. Like even even when things get a little like body horror weird. Um, I'm, it's like, okay, it's like Invasion of the Body Snatchers now. Okay, we're doing that. So it, there's a bit of a self-knowing sense of humor to it, especially mm-hmm. some certain shots. Which, which I think plays into the ending really well. Like, I, I yeah. really liked the resolution. Really, my only thing is, with this movie, I do agree that it should have been a little scarier. I don't know... I, I don't know how to have changed it uh, because after the sort of initial attack scene, yeah, yeah, once the mystery is sort of lifted, I, I found it less scary and more interesting. If that makes sense, mileage will vary on how terrifying you find the creature designed to be. I particularly don't. Um, even if sometimes it's cool, I'm not thinking about. It's it's not really a horror response from me, and I feel like they could have the movie could have withheld showing all of it so early on in the movie. Sure, but it kind yeah. of made that decision. It was like we either do this now and just get it out of the way. This is the creature. This is what we're dealing with, or we could play that game of you just see a hand and you just see like a out of focus framed head or something. But, but so I, I, I feel like the opposite problem until the this is the, this is the opposite issue of a movie like signs, right? Where, where it does play those games and it's very scary until the reveal. And then it's like, Oh, okay. That's just, that's not that scary. Well, that so was also I, like 2003 CGI, and yeah, this the, is like the, 2009 the, CGI. But uh, but the creature design isn't that different, you know. It's the no, it's, yeah. t- it, it's a riff on the same the same notes. Mm. So there's two major things in this movie that are supposed to be working that don't for me, and okay. that is does it work as a thriller? Most of the time, no. Although sometimes I'm having fun while watching it, even if I'm just, you know, basically getting spook house in a, you know, ride kind of feel from it. Not necessarily like I'm, I feel like I'm I'm experiencing the character. And then the other thing, the movie does the trauma metaphor and the emotional storytelling work for you. And for me, again, eh, mostly not. Okay. All right. I think I disagree with you on both ends. I think Caitlin I... Deaver does a really good job with uh, trying to infuse some humanity in, in, into that thread. But I don't – I feel like it's – largely this 
kind of just felt like a long Twilight Zone episode that kind of goes nowhere. I I disagree with you. I I I really liked the emotional arc of this movie. I think that is to me that is what really worked. Uh, and maybe it is Caitlin Deaver selling it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I to me that aspect of it really worked. I think some of the thriller elements maybe fall a little short than I wanted them to. Um, but I still thought it was a fun romp. Like I, I, I still think this movie's a lot of fun. The set pieces, maybe they aren't as scary as I wanted them to be, but they are still thrilling. I think there's good action sequences and good choreography and good setups. It's just for some reason, the scares of it fall a little short for me. But overall, I think this movie worked more than it didn't. Okay. I like that it's no frills. I like that it kind of is what it is. Um, it's uh, sort of embracing the B-movie nature of it. Yeah. Um, and it gets in and out in, in 93 minutes. I appreciate that. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, it's vaguely stylish but in sort of a tv movie hulu contenty sort of way sure. uh watch it for caitlin deaver if nothing else because i think she's giving it her all i just felt that it was a little generic and kind of ordinary and sort of hmm. pedestrian i give it a c plus oh damn okay i i actually felt like to me this felt like kind of a, a fun experiment that I, I do feel like that maybe it was a short film that grew sort of beyond that. Mm-hmm. But I think to me, the emotional storytelling is there. I liked that it was kind of a riff on a classic monster that we don't see a whole lot of. And to, to me, I, I think it's a fun, scary movie that's not too scary. So I give it a B plus. Okay. So, speaking of uh, movies that are for the holiday season, for the (laughs) uh, October spooky season, but not necessarily too scary. uh, Are we using the Scoville scale for horror movies? Yes. I've titled this segment uh, Spooky Bell Peppers. Okay. Okay. All right. So when we reviewed last week, uh, when we reviewed The Haunting in Venice, you said something along the lines of, this is a great movie for people who want to see stuff that's sort of in the vein of Mm -hmm. uh, horror, has horror aesthetics, but they don't necessarily want to get too scared or they don't really like horror. So I tried to think of some films, some movies that people like that can watch that are lower down on the Scoville scale. We're talking your cherry yeah. peppers. We're talking your bell peppers. Well, you it's, know. It, it's funny that you use a, uh, you're using the Scoville scale. Um, <laughs> Ashley, uh, my wife and I, we use the spider ranking system. So <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> one year we went to Lagoon's, like, 
Lagoon was a, is a theme park in Salt Lake City mm-hmm. uh, near where we grew up, and they do like a Halloween theme overlay where they do like scary mazes and stuff. And they ranked each of their mazes on spiders. So it was a one through five spider system. Oh, okay. And so, yeah. So ever since then, um, when I see a horror movie that I'm like, Ashley, you might like this. She wants me to rank it on the spider system. So oh, if it's like scale. four or more spiders, I don't know. But right. anything like kind of below that is is good. So like, uh, you know, uh, no one will save you. I would give like two and a half spiders. Yeah, it's like it's meant to be scary. Yeah, but, but, and but you I, know, uh, like like I said when we were reviewing the movie, um, scary is very subjective. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, horror and comedy are very. Uh, interlinked that way in that mm. you can't really tell what someone's going to think is funny or scary because that yeah. has so much to do with personal life experience and your own values. And yeah, and it's, it's either your sense of humor or it's not, or like, right. you know, it's either like for some people, the exorcist is the scariest movie ever made for other people, uh, you know, who, who didn't like grow up religious or have any kind of, you know, like they're like, I don't get what's so scary about this. Like I, I right. get it. Yeah. It's everybody has their individual sort of, uh, I, I don't know if preference is the right word, but it's the best one I can think of at the moment. Right. And you know, to be perfectly honest, the movies that I'm pulling from for this draft, for this list that we're doing is, not even necessarily horror films. They're just movies that are in the vein of the season that you can watch that aren't made for kids. Of course, there's a slew of yeah. animated films and kids' movies, you know, your monster houses, your Halloween towns, the your Hocus yeah. Pocus. Hocus Pocus is probably like just a notch below what I'm aiming for. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, you yeah. know. So I tried not to think of movies where kids are the protagonists, mm-hmm. um, and I also tried not to think of too many horror comedies. Although, you know, there's a couple, but stuff that you could watch during the season mm-hmm. or have on during a party or whatever. That's not going to be distractingly terrifying. Sure. Yeah. 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 So we each picked three. Uh, you might have picked more. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I have a few just in case we overlapped. But sure. But do you want to start? What is your first spooky bell pepper? <laughs> My first one is a horror comedy um, because you did not make that stipulation to me when you assigned. Well, that was more this. just like a personal aim because it's like I just didn't want to fill it all with the same stuff. Sure, and not and not all of mine are, but um, I'll go with the first one, which I think is maybe the perfect horror comedy. Uh, the original, what we do in the shadows, mockumentary. Oh, yeah, um, you know, I didn't even think about it before the FX series, which I think also carries a lot of the same vibes. Um, but I still think. And here's the thing. I love the show. I love all the characters in the show. I I really Mm -hmm. like how they have expanded the initial concept. 
I just think there's something about the the movie that still captures the essence of them being vampires more than the show. Like, I, I feel like the movie takes all these horror tropes and plays them, but you see them from the vampire's perspective, so they're not scary. Uh, whereas I, I, I feel like the show is a little broader as a comedy. Um, it's a little bit, you know, it's more sitcom-y. I still think it's great, but there's something about the original that I think taps into the idea of vampires and does it in a way that's not scary at all, but very funny. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, it's it's a a movie about a family of vampires. It's essentially Dark Shadows, the TV show. I I think it's more like a, 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 a... purely comedic version of interview with the vampire right because it's this documentary like we are these humans seeing into their world right and there's a nonchalance to that well that it's, i think it's that meets spinal tap yeah meets like, the office meets yeah that's the, what the, it's the going idea for. of the mockumentary it, and it of course it's uh taika watiti who mm-hmm. who directed it so it has that and stars in it so it has that dry Kiwi sense mm-hmm. of humor. Um, and I like the whole idea of, you know, like the werewolves are like the high school jocks. They're like the bullies <laughs> with like Letterman well, jackets yeah, and stuff. What, that's what I mean. Like they play into all of these tropes so well mm-hmm. that I, I remember when they announced that they were doing a TV show. It was like, okay, but like, where are they going to go? And, right. And literally every season of the show, I feel like they've exhausted all of the lore, uh, but they still somehow find new avenues and and new places to take it. Um, So I just think it's, you know, A, it's a great gateway into the series, Mm -hmm. and B, it's just a fun uh, movie that has all the spooky vibes without any of the actual scares. Yeah, it's one that you could have all your friends at and everyone's going to have a good time with it. Yeah. Uh, and and you don't nightmares. have to be so deep into vampire lore, vampire mythology to get all the references. No, it but helps. if you do it, 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 it gives you that extra level. Yeah, absolutely. But, but yeah, it's, it's a solid enough movie with enough character work and enough, uh, solid jokes that, that, it's not necessary to be like a vampire expert to enjoy it. Yeah. And I don't know if this, if this comes up on your list or not, but another reason why I didn't, I chose not to do a lot of horror comedy is because a lot of it relies on splat stick and, and gore as humor. Mm -hmm. And although I don't mind that and gore hounds and traditional horror fans are going to get a kick out of that. There are some people who, even if it's sending it up, you know, you they're not going to want to watch Dead Alive. Absolutely. No, I... <laughs> they I, might I, not I, even want to watch Shaun of the Dead because there are, uh, you know, there's a lot of bloodletting and chewing and guts and viscera. I actually think, like, Shaun of the Dead is a great horror comedy, but it has some genuinely horrific moments in mm-hmm. and some very violent core. No, I, I agree with you. I try to avoid stuff uh with overly gory 
segments right. because you, you'll lose people with that. Yeah. Yeah. The test is like, can your mom watch it? Sure. Specifically <laughs> your mom. My mom doesn't like anything except except for HGTV. Uh, the first one I have on my list is not specifically horror or October uh, related, but I, every time I, we enter this time of the year, I always want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is Ed Wood, uh, the Tim Burton film. Oh, I can see that. Absolutely. I, it's black and white. It's mm-hmm. Tim Burton. I mean, you know, I, when it comes to this this kind of thing, it's like pick it's his Tim season, Burton. man. It is his season. Yeah, and, and he specifically kind of made a career of doing movies exactly like we're describing. I, I, I mean, he's yeah, done like a, a hot topic that, like, literally their marketing design was okay. Uh, Tim Burton Plus, right? Tim Burton Core. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, he's done movies that are more gory or scary, like something like Sleepy Hollow, which is kind of like like a slasher film. Yeah. Uh, and then he's, but he's done a lot of movies like this or Edward Scissorhands or whatever that uh, is more spooky than scary. Of course, you have Martin Landau in this film playing Bela Lugosi in mm. one of his, you know, the last stretch of his life when he was just uh, slumming it, making B-movies with Ed Wood, uh, giving an Academy Award-winning performance. And yeah, uh, you have uh, Johnny Depp before he was totally obnoxious uh, mm. and actually, you know, came up with a really interesting character watch, character to watch. And um, it takes place in that whole world of, you know, the whole theme of the movie is sort of the island of misfit toys, like just on the outer edges of Hollywood. So you have Vampira, who like uh, mm. is a TV uh, horror movie uh, introducer or similar uh, to host. Elvira. Uh, I yeah. think Elvira or Vampira actually tried to sue Elvira later in life. I mean, I, yeah, I could see that. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah. You know, you get a lot more of that later on, uh, in, you know, like these sort of curators of horror. Sure. Um, with like Joe Bob Briggs on shutter and stuff like that. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But she was the original or one of, so there's a lot of elements to this movie, especially, you know, Ed Wood and his movies in general, you know, Bride of the Mutant and, and Plan 9 from Outer Space. There's a lot of genre stuff in the milieu. And then on top of it, that sort of Burton-esque uh, uh, quality that he brings to the movie. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and like you said, the the fact that it's black and white and it's it's dealing with all these genre concepts, but from the perspective of a biopic. Uh, so it, it's not scary, but you still get those kind of vibes. And well, like and it's, used to- it's also really funny, too. I mean, yeah. primarily it's a comedy and it doesn't take mm-hmm. itself too seriously. Um, so even though it's dealing in the life of somebody who's real, there's something a little elevated or something a little, a little bit more, uh, arch about everything. You know, it's not a, a perfect capture of what Hollywood was like back then. It's a bit, it's a little bit of a skewed perspective. 
Yeah, but but there's a stylization to that that you you understand that like this isn't necessarily a real depiction, but it is a maybe emotionally true depiction. Right. Yeah. Or what yeah. we see in our heads when we think of it after having viewed his movies. Uh, For sure. Ed, Ed Wood's movies. Yeah. No, I think that's a great pick. My next one is not a comedy. Um, but I think has Halloween vibes for days without being too scary. Uh, Donnie Darko. Uh, See, I almost picked this, but I kind of feel like we're like over here in like the Serrano jalapeno territory with Donnie Darko. But make your argument. Okay, so I I think it has some very some very strange stuff. Uh-huh. It, uh, it it takes place at Halloween, and the I think the reason it maybe seems scarier than it is is purely the character design of Frank the Bunny. But uh, like, if you just saw him, like that character, the weird bunny mask that no fucking high schooler would wear for <laughs> for Halloween, <laughs> um, versus the actual story elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause so that was one of the things that got me to watch Donnie Darko in the first place was it was back in the day. I still lived at my parents' house. They had cable. I would stay up late at night and I would like peruse various channels like the independent film channel and stuff. And I read the description of like, you know, this kid who sees this demonic bunny and I was like, well, fuck, I got to see what this is all about. And so, you know, I bought into it. And the first time you see him, of course, he's scary. It's spooky. It's weird. It's unexplained. But within context of the movie, the actual story, I don't think it's that scary. I think they take the scary elements away from it once you know what the sort of higher sci-fi concepts are. Right. Well, so, the, movie, the movie sort of deconstructs itself as it goes. Exactly. Um, it, and so that is why I think it is not as scary as it might seem initially. It's high concept. It's weird. It's it's in some ways Lynchian, but I don't think of, it's ever. A lot of ways. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't. I mean, I don't think it ever reaches the heights of Lynch. No. Uh, but I also don't think it ever reaches the heights of Lynch as a horror director either. Right. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I think there's a general sense of uh, dread and there's a general sense of uneasiness to the movie. And it's but not to, just because of the character design of the bunny and the voice and no, all no, that. They, but there's there a lot of like... existential ennui. Sure. Well, the character is sort of disturbed, and and he, you know, there's those sequences where he's where he's in uh, therapy, mm-hmm. and he's having some kind of intense stuff there. There's sort of this un this mystery that's set forth that we don't really understand, and and I think that there's there's a bit of a, there's a bird's eye point of view to yes. to everything that we see going on that there's a, there's a detachment. Yeah. Right. There, there, there's kind of a cold detachment, and I think that's what keeps it from being actually scary. I, I think this movie is pure vibes, 
It is moods for days, but it's without the actual scares of something. How many days? Uh, How many days? What? What do you mean? <laughs> you just blank for days has been your phrase for like the past like four weeks. Oh, uh, <laughs> 31 days. Uh, October, right? Like, sure. It's a good phrase. Fuck you. <laughs> My my point is uh, that I I feel like it has all of the the mood that you would want from a Halloween movie, but I wouldn't be concerned about showing it to friends who are a little more sensitive to scares. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's person personally. I don't find it terrifying, but I could see somebody of you know, let's say between the ages of like 13 to 16 where they start to get into the the more mysterious angle of it and it might like reach a threshold where they're like I don't know what's going on but it freaks me out like the sound design is like buzzing in the background mm-hmm. and and you know like the the scene when they go Donnie and his date uh go to see Evil Dead and like there's weird stuff happening with the with the with the screen and yeah, there's, there's just an element to it that is yes, moody, but also I, I think there is sort of an underlying tension that's, that he's yeah, teasing it, out. It's, it's sort of genre plus, you know? Sure. I, I think to, so to me, it comes right to the threshold, right? Like if yeah. we're talking Scoville scale, I'm saying this is maybe, Maybe jalapeno, right? Like, yeah. like this is coming right to the point of spicy without, you know, it's not going to traumatize anybody. I, it, it, I doubt it will give you nightmares, but maybe. Yeah. Um, I but think it depends with, on the age of the person who sees it also. Fair enough. Uh, but I don't think it's like full blown terror. Yeah. Yeah. It it's it's maybe thriller with a lot of sci-fi elements. Yeah. All right. The next one on my list is probably the closest to straight horror, which I mean that that was certainly the aim at the time. I don't know if that's where mm-hmm. it lands uh at this time of history. Uh but I am going to advocate for the film The Craft, okay. which is the witchy mean girls of the 90s <laughs> i've never um, actually seen this one oh it's a blast it's a total I, blast yeah i should i should it is uh a total 90s time capsule it, it it actually was released the same year but just before scream so it kind of has oh shit that yeah. quality to it because they're both uh they were both uh put out by dimension films i believe well, they're they're both kind of these like deconstructions of horror, right? Like it's yeah. like this is a witch movie, but with a different angle on it, with a like teenage drama, uh, right? Like for the people who loved uh, Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero or uh, Melrose Place, this is that generation, the Gen X version of this thing. So it's like alt rock soundtrack. And of course, this would like later be super influential on stuff like the later Buffy TV series and uh, Charmed and like the, that type of stuff. But 
it's not really ter- scary at all, but mm-hmm. it it kind of plays that idea of the new girl who comes in. She doesn't have friends. She gets inducted into a coven, and uh, she doesn't know who to trust. They're playing around more and more with black magic, and they they never know if they're they've gone too far. Um, so there's you know weird things that start happening or whatever, but. Um, this movie's all about Feruza Balk and her eating up the scenery every scene she's in. I mean, she did not get the the praise she deserved in the late nineties, early two thousands. As well, being she was that queen. girl for a while. I mean, she you know she kind of had like but this role. She was that girl, but she was never like. A Brittany Murphy, you know what I mean? Like she was, right. she was always sort of weird and she, sort of outside. Yeah, I think she, in a in a way, I think she kind of designed her her career to go that direction. I mean, I think the closest to mainstream she ever got, uh, and probably the biggest role she would have got would should have been an on ramp to something more, is when she was in Almost Famous. She was also mm-hmm. in Waterboy as one of the love interests of oh, yeah. Chandler. She, so, I mean, she had her little era there, you know. Yeah, I love Fruza I mean, Balk. Fruza Balk's great. And if you love Fruza Balk, this is her movie. You know, this is her her biggest move. And then, you, you know, the rest of the cast is really good, too. You got Nev Campbell, is, uh, who just right before she'd break out in Scream, uh, mm-hmm. Rachel True, who was the black best friend in every teen movie of the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> and she'll be the first to joke about that whenever they talked. She said she was at a point in her career, she was sick of reading scripts where her job was to ask her white friend, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, you even have Skeet Ulrich in this movie as well as... Uh, uh, one of the boys who uh, teases the goth girls. So uh, this movie uh, uh, is now kind of seen as sort of a camp classic. I know in uh, San Francisco for a while, there was a group of drag queens who were doing uh, the craft on stage. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I love that. So uh, it is that's sort of the framework to view this film in. It took itself fairly seriously at the time, but you can kind of look at it with quotation marks around the whole thing, but you can also sort of enjoy it on its own terms too, as just being yeah. a fun slice of nineties Totino's pizza. I need, I need to actually watch it. Cause I think I would, I would love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And what is your third spooky bell pepper? Okay, where do I want to go? I have a few, actually. I have more than I expected. But I will go with the one that is probably the most predictable, if you have listened to the podcast or if you know me as a human being for the last 20 years. Um, But I'm going to go with The Crow. Oh, Uh, yeah. It takes place on uh, Devil's Night, the night before or the night after Halloween before specifically in Detroit. Yeah. Yes. Uh, where everybody, you know, is wearing masks and, and then 
the night where all the gangs come out and commit all these crimes and specifically arson. But the reason I bring up the crow is because I specifically this year I have seen, especially on like Twitter and stuff, I've seen people entering the crow as like a horror movie on their list. And it's not a horror movie. Like it's, I get not not Halloween has Halloween vibes, right? Like the main character is makeup and it's Gothic and um, all of this stuff, but it's, it's more of a superhero action movie with like a goth overlay. It's not meant for scares. It's meant for action. And like the time and the setting and it's there was a point in time when i would say this was my favorite movie of all time like it's just so dialed into the things that i love and that is all (laughs) everything we're talking about with you know uh the season but yeah i think it's halloween movie without being actually scary yeah i think the confusion or that cross interest into is that it's you know and you'll see this every once in a while this kind of happens but it finds a specific fan base within uh genre fans in general sure yeah um i remember back in the day like todd mcfarlane released the toy during in his movie maniac series which was mostly killers and then they had the grow for some reason uh or brandon lee's you know portrayal of it but yeah, largely it is a post Batman, like post Tim Burton's Batman, post uh, Blade Runner revenge movie. Like way back in the day, I remember you would see the trailer for the Crow City of Angels, and it mm. would like go like right next to the Candyman Farewell to the Flesh or whatever, like. It, it it just got tied into this sort of horror culture because it was this kind of unabashed genre movie. Uh, and it's macabre. It's know. macabre. And, and specifically the first one takes place on Devil's Night. It takes place at Halloween. Yeah. Um, and it's almost entirely shot at night or even if during the day, it's very desaturated. So it's, kind of indistinguishable from the night shots. Exactly. And, so it's very uh, it's, spooky. Everyone's in black, weird. shiny leather. And yeah, I mean, the whole thing and, you know, the the kills as they come, even though it's not a, a, a horror slasher kind of thing, it's like, again, it's a revenge film with a good guy versus bad guys. Uh, but there's, sort there's of a weird creativity a- to the kills that are kind yeah, of similar. Yeah. It's it's almost like a supernatural slasher flick meets revenge movie, and and yeah. so I think that crossover kind of leans it more towards horror category for some people. I like the movie more than any of the sequels or the TV show, or you know, like it, it's just sort of this culmination of ideas and time and setting. Mm-hmm. All right, my last pick I'm going to place here. Uh, you might be able to see it in the background of the video if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, I have the poster, Phantom of the Paradise, mm. uh, by Brian De Palma. 
This was his a good choice. His movie musical, his rock and roll m- movie musical that he made in the mid seventies. It kind of takes uh, some plot ideas from Phantom of the Opera meets uh, Faust, set in the seventies uh, glam rock <laughs> uh, world of sleazy business dealings, um, which is. Maybe a little bit more high-minded than to even really sort of consider it, but it's a you know it's campy, it's fun, it's it's big. the The music is great. It's all by Paul Williams, who most people know from the Muppets. By he, but he's one of the stars of the movie. Yeah, of, he plays the villain in the film, and a very against type. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it it all of the music is great, and it. You know, he tries out different genres. There's like a Beach Boys band, and there's a rockabilly band, and then there's like a sort of an Alice Cooper sort of glam rock band. And you have De Palma, who brings a ton of style to everything, and he does his like classic split screening and and all of that stuff that he was into at the time. You know, a lot of people love to talk about uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, which very well could have mm-hmm. been on this list as well. I, I tell people who are fans of Rocky, if you've seen Rocky 150 times already, you should definitely check out Phantom of the Paradise, because I feel like they're sort of kissing cousins, mm-hmm. and uh, this movie doesn't quite have the reputation, although it's grown. But when I first sort of discovered this movie back in, like, 2007, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even know where I heard it, but maybe from, like, the IMDb message boards or something like that. And the only the only way I was able to obtain a copy of it was in the five dollar bin at Walmart. Uh, you know, a bare bones DVD copy. And now you know, Shout Factory has released a nice Blu-ray version of it, and there's been documentaries made about it now. And I see more and more people talking about Phantom. Um, well, it, than who especially did back then. yeah, yeah. Also, the internet has come a long way since when you first showed it to me. Mm. Um, you did like a movie night, and I happened to watch it. And um, you used to do this a lot, though, where you would have these sort of movie nights where you would show these, uh, you know, movies it on was sort theme. of your, yeah, I was sort of programming well, for my friends. Yeah, it was like yeah. your Alamo draft house, <laughs> but in our living room, sure, kind of picks. And um, that <laughs> that was how I first saw this movie, and this was this is one of the ones that I think about the most of that time because it's so crazy and fun and weird. And I have thought about dressing up as the Phantom of the Paradise for Halloween multiple times. It will probably happen eventually. Yeah, you could do that. It, it would also probably go over pretty well at a con, you know? Oh, yes. Yeah. Be a deep well, cut. Well, it's, incar- it's incredible character design. Like the mm-hmm. the suit and the hat, the helmet. Um, and Paul Williams is this like very specific look. Yeah, it's a very fun movie. Uh, it's it's gothic and weird and has a lot of the beats of a horror movie without being strictly horror. Right. It's it again was sort of embraced by the genre crowd and yeah. people who loved 
you know, the horror movies of the 70s or whatever. But it's, you know, ultimately more sort of a cult kind of uh, genre exercise. In Absolutely. That it's and it, it, it's less dependent together. on scares and more dependent on, like, concept and character. Right. Um, okay, what were your final two? Or your, I, I have two left, but you can go ahead and rattle off some of yours. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, I'll just give honorable mentions uh, real quick to Clue, mm-hmm. um, who, who done it with massive Halloween vibes. Uh, very recently, Werewolf by Night, which was a Marvel special presentation. I don't even know if it's like full feature length. Um, it's just something they released for Disney plus, but, um, the original black and white version, very cool, has a lot of, uh, MCU, but also classic sort of universal horror crossover, the original Adams family, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, Elvira mistress of the dark, which is uh, pretty much full on horror comedy. Okay. Uh, the only two that I put, and I did think some of the ones that you mentioned before, but I either didn't mention because I thought you might. Okay, the the only two that I didn't uh, mention that I could have, uh, Frankenhooker. We talked about it a couple okay, years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, a tad gory, a little gory, but in a, a, uh, a little sexploitation as well. But yeah, sure. I mean, that's kind of what you're there for, but it's largely more comedy than anything else. I don't know. To me, it feels like a hard R version of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's kind of the <laughs> the tone. Um, and then uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca. That one was, I believe, his only movie to win Best Picture. And uh, it is a gothic horror in the classic sense and sort of a gothic romance. It is more about atmosphere and, you know, the the traditions of gothic aristocracy and all of that kind of stuff. And him sort of fully embracing that. Not very Hitchcockian as far as his stuff goes. Like he would he would find himself, I think, a little bit more later on. But it is great for creating sort of a moody sort of sense. And especially if you like like classic cinema. Cool. Um, let's start okay. talking about the streaming homework, which is The Lair of the White Worm uh, by Ken Russell. This came out in 1988. It is streaming now on Tubi. Did you immediately recognize Peter Capaldi? Not immediately, but within <laughs> 15 minutes, yeah. But I also watched Doctor Who when he was the Doctor. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I watched a bit of it, uh, but uh, it took me a minute. Oh, well, you know what? Actually, I know him more from from that movie In the Loop, which oh, I was he, a big I, fan of. He's great in that, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's just I've always sort of known him as an old guy. Right. And... This is him as a young boy. Yeah, to me, he looked like a, a grown, like a slightly twenty-something-year-old version of Billy Madison's best friend uh, when he was in third grade or whatever. Um, yeah, 
Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I, I didn't well, catch he's it. Got the hair and in he's the glasses. Like, again, yeah. I think of Peter Capaldi is like a sixty-plus-year-old, right? Uh, whereas Hugh Grant has been Hugh Grant since the. I think he came out of the womb with a sophisticated British accent and right, uh, a little bit charming, a you posh, know, stiff Grant. upper lip right. and piercing blue Very eyes. Posh, yeah, yeah. Born uh, to play the prince. <laughs> so this movie, Peter Capaldi is a, a student archaeologist who finds a giant skull that was buried sometime during the Roman Empire, and he is studying this legend of the lair of the white worm, this pagan goddess of that time that uh, was at odds with Christianity um, during the time when when the uh, Catholic Church and the original pagan traditions of Rome were sort of clashing. Um, he unearths the magic of this specific creature and brings to life a vampy seductress. Yeah, Amanda Donahoe as Lady Sylvia, who brings men into her mansion and bites them and leaves them with sort of a vampiric venom. It should be noted that this is adapted from a Bram Stoker story. How closely, I do not know. <laughs> I can't imagine very. But as all of these people, you know, these different parties involved start to catch wind of what's going on, there becomes a hunt to uh, find the mistress and take away her source of power and set things back to normal. But, uh, you know, essentially a lady vampire movie with some weird snake paganism and some really uh, 1980s, like, blue screen uh, psychedelic compositing going on. I actually did not realize this movie came out as late as it did. I didn't realize it was 88. I would have guessed it was like 78, um, except for the fact that it's starring Hugh Grant and Peter Capaldi. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's strange because it's like a werewolf movie and a vampire movie, but they're just snakes instead. <laughs> I think this movie is pretty campy and cheesy. Uh, uh, pretty. I mean, I think it's it's overwhelmingly campy. I mean, I think that is it is sort of running on camp as fuel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in in a lot of ways that I didn't expect it to be. Um, but yeah, when you strip it down to its core, it's just sort of a supernatural slasher movie. Okay. I. I think a lot of this movie is pretty pedestrian, except for the dream sequences and the sort of psychedelic imagery. I think that is where the sort of money of this movie is, is individual. Like, yeah, like there's there's this investment in the sort of surrealism of it. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the movie just sort of feels attached to that. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't call it pedestrian. Um, I think it's too too weird and too specifically British, and mm. 
uh, not conventional enough, even even during the the aspects of it where it's, you know, just these sort of British comedy stuff that we see in a lot of movies, you know, the the interchanges of dialogue between the different characters. You have the bumbling cop and you have Hugh Grant playing the the aristocrat and you have There's a lot of dry wit that is kind of at odds with everything else. Well, I think it's I think we see it as at, at odds because we're not particularly of this culture, but mm-hmm. I thought a lot of um that uh werewolf movie that we watched uh, uh, last year, the one with Angela Lansbury, the Neil Jordan film. Oh, uh, uh, the Company of Wolves. Yeah, I, I think it kind of belongs in sort of that territory. The it's less boring than that. Oh yes, I think it's and a lot more lurid and a lot more. It also kind of has this sort of hammer horror, like sexploitation aspect to it, right? And I, I, I think Ken Russell, again being a British director and and this being a British film, I think it's knowingly sort of almost parodying that stuff. Yeah, it, it is. It yes, it is very connected to that. It, 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 to it that is world. not accidental. Yeah, um, I think what makes it more more unique than just doing genre parody mm-hmm. is specifically uh and it's just sort of a squint and you'll see it kind of analysis but you know the the idea of like the the uh traditions of christianity versus paganism as a sure. theme that runs through here i can't help Obviously, but think of a movie like The Devils, which stylistically is very different, but there is a thematic through line there. Absolutely. There, there is there is this huge challenge of Christianity and the origins of Christianity versus paganism versus, you know, ritual and versus and skepticism versus this this movie absolutely plays into the, a similar interest as that. Right. Like, like you know, the, the main character is a, a devout worshiper of the original serpent that that tempted eve in the garden of eden you know like christianity is baked into the mythology in a way that can't be ignored yeah even though the using a lot of like vampire uh, storytelling yes, stuff absolutely you know especially with like the seductress and 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 uh you know uh, the sexual aspect of it and bringing Which, can, it and can we just take a moment to appreciate Amanda Donahue's performance in oh yeah absolutely vamping this shit up oh yeah and, like i feel like she was the only person that knew what movie she was in i to yeah to her and and Hugh Grant and, and Capaldi are all doing a pretty good job sometimes the movie as a whole is listless and doesn't use its runtime very well or it, it kind of takes a while to get going there's and, a lot of weird conversations on phones mm-hmm. that are these like strange exposition but shot in a way that's supposed to be natural and it just is like why is this phone conversation lasting for two and a half minutes 
Right. Yeah. There's a lot of that. And there's, there's elements to it. I mean, there's enough, there's enough here to, to like bring me back in as I'm starting to sort of doze off. Same. Yeah. Um, like yeah. every, by the time, like every 15 minutes, we get into another lull. There'll be something just totally fucking weird that happens. <laughs> just absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and literally. I'm like, okay. Well, now I'm back in. Like, you know, now there's, you know, a blue snake lady. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, it, it is, it is a, a, a mixture of the most mundane sort of folk horror storytelling mm-hmm. mixed with some of the most insane imagery you'll ever see of like, Roman soldier below a crucifix that's being wrapped by a white snake. Right. Yeah. And, and our lead actress in full body blue paint and a giant wooden strap on. I mean, when the movie yeah. gets batshit, it gets all the way batshit. Um, I, I wish it had spent a little more time in the batshit though. I, yeah, I agree. Yes. It does. It, it does. It's not total abandon, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't quite have a a fix on a tone that I would hope for, especially from a director who I think is capable of that. Um, yeah. But I also know that I'm kind of. It's dated for one. It's you know this is '80s British comedy, and it's specifically for that culture and like. So stuff that might not be working for me might have been just like leaving people in stitches in the theaters of Piccadilly Circus in 1988, you know? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, just because like the references were that much more acute at that time. Well, and they're so, sp- yeah, it's so regional. It's- right. I don't take this however you take this, but I also thought of the the movie Once Bitten, the the Jim Carrey film uh, from the from the late eighties. It was like pre him that. being famous, pre I think pre comedy store, pre everything. But mm. uh, you know, very similar where you have sort of a uh, a temptress uh, and in the Lorraine Hutton character, she behaves in a lot of similar ways. The plot sort of comes to the same sort of conclusions. It's just that the mythology aspect is from two different cultures, from two different sources. Mm-hmm. Um, although at some point they converge at Bram Stoker. I'm not sure. I, again, I'm not sure what uh, Ken Russell used from that story because this is clearly contemporary of the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it feels like it's drawing on an older mythology, right? Like, yeah. There's a like source a, here. A, yeah. Yeah. Sort of like how R- the movie Rinfield is drawing from Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had fun with this ultimately. I'm like glad I saw it. Is it a great movie? Probably not. No, I don't think it's a very good movie. But it is kind of an interesting, weird, deep cut if you're into campy, culty stuff. Yes, I think it's worth seeing if that's your vibe. Yeah. Uh, it's so specific and strange, but it's not. It's just 
the layer of the white worm. It is it's kind of its own thing. Like it's so regional and dated in all of these things that to me, I was like, I wonder if somebody could remake something like this or is it too culturally specific? Is it too of its era? You technically could and maybe somebody has um, drawn upon the same source material. I don't know. But whatever you ended up with wouldn't be this. No. Like it would be, you know, it wouldn't be anything like it. And I think for whatever it's worth, um, the most interesting stuff about it is its warts and all, you I know, agree. Uh, extra appendages. To me, that was the stuff that I found the most interesting. That was the way those sort of modern characters tapped into this sort of ancient paganism. Um, and most of that, I think, was most effective through like the, the sort of dream metaphor stuff. I, I felt like all of that was interesting beyond sort of camp. Whereas the rest of it sort of, you know, it is pretty cheesy and silly and weird. Uh, But that was like, oh, I I feel like there's something actually going on here beyond that. Yeah. And I think thematically he's he's dealing with stuff, you know, like there's Mm -hmm. there's more here than the genre requires. You know, if you just wanted to do like if, if you wanted to do something like Once Bitten. You know, where you just have a vampire lady who is seducing men or whoever to at her will to bring back a snake god. Okay, you you certainly don't have to have her go off on monologues about their false gods on wooden crosses and then have, dr- mm-hmm. you know, these weird uh, dream sequences of naked nuns and, you know, all of that stuff where I'm like immediately... Okay, like, here's the guy who made the devils, like, here he's rearing his head. Yeah, um, right, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, either, he kind of has something to say here. Like, there's there's a bit more of a consciousness to something approaching a social message, but I don't think that that's ultimately what he was instructed to make or what he even really wanted to make. I think... Sure. This movie was supposed to basically, I think for, for England at the time, this was like their Fright Night. You know, it's just we're looking at it like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of cultural references and there's a lot of, um, and there is a lot of comedy uh, yeah. that I, I think maybe And Hugh Grant's doesn't... really good at just like tossing off one-liners and, and playing <laughs> everything off. With that I mean, dry Peter, Peter Capaldi has some moments too. There's mongoose, there's hand grenades that come out of nowhere. Like, <laughs> there, there are moments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the real juice of this movie is like in the last like 35 minutes. If you can make yeah. it there, your your wait will have been worth it. Well, I but I also think you know through that we have. Uh, 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 like I said, Amanda Donahue as the the lady Sylvia Marsh just vamping it up. Every yeah. scene she she's literally chewing the scenery. Like it is, yeah. She is just a treat every time she's on screen, and she gets more and more insane uh, as the movie progresses. It's great. Yeah. So that is available to watch on Tubi if we haven't mentioned before. So. I didn't run this across to you, but I don't think you've seen it. 
Um, for the next episode, for the streaming homework, I'm going to have us watch the film Possession. Uh, it's currently streaming on Shudder. Uh, and it came out in 1981 originally. Okay. No, I have not seen that. Sounds good. It has a bit of a reputation. It was banned in areas at the time. Love it. Um, it was out of print for a really, really long time until recently. If you, there was a point in time, if you had a Blu-ray of it, it was like worth $200 and now it's like back in print. But, but yeah, uh, there's, it's stuff of legends and I've always meant to All see right. Cool. Let's do it. Okay. And if anybody has anything to say about any of the topics that we brought up on this podcast or others, uh, you can reach out to us at our uh, email address, mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on all of the social media. Um, we have a YouTube channel where I'm uploading videos. They don't always go up on the same day as the podcast. The podcast is, the audio podcast is first what I'm most interested in having out first, the priority. priority. Yes, thank you. Um, but if... Uh, if you look out on our YouTube channel or if you subscribe to it, you'll see when the video goes up and uh, all of our segments are uh, split up into chapters there. So you can click at your own will. Um, we also have a TikTok channel that's a little dormant right now, but I'm hoping to have clips up on that at some point. Uh, we're, of course, on uh, Twitter and Instagram where you can see when new episodes go up. We also still have a Facebook if anybody's on that. Leave comments, questions, concerns, whatever. And on your podcast app of choice, uh, iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts, whatever, please leave us a star rating and a one-sentence review. It does help push us up in the algorithm of the, whatever category we're under. Word of mouth, if you have friends who are into movies or like podcasts and are looking for new ones, let them know that we exist. Um, share us on your social medias. That always helps as well. You can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at VC Cassidy. And you can also, uh, read the rest of the articles and reviews by the rest of the MacGuffin staff at MacGuff.in. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Keith Foster Kid. I think that's where I am at on all the socials. Um, also, if you're interested in seeing me perform live, I perform at uh, um, Mockingbird Improv. I am part of the show's improv versus stand-up and uh, lyrics and laughs. So, uh, you know, check out their calendar at MockingbirdImprov.org and come see a show. If you're in San Diego or visiting. Okay, and that is the episode. I change my cars as regularly as a snake sheds its skin. Bye.